This is where they are building the largest nuclear fusion reactor in the world. Yeah, a friend of mine told me I had to check out this pool. America on Main Street and at the dinner table is talking about infrastructure when 20 years ago they didn't even know what that meant. Today those towers are an astounding display of wealth, prestige and engineering first. It's impacting everyday Americans. I am against the train the way it's being done right now. New York City housing is a scam. It is a scam, 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 scam. The Shard in central London is being officially opened today and at 310 metres tall, it's Europe's newest and tallest skyscraper. Hello, I'm Fred Mills. And this is the world's best construction podcast by the B1M. Now I know what you're thinking. Goodness me, these dulcet tones I'm currently hearing must be coming from an impossibly attractive man. But you'd be wrong, because it's just me, Fred Mills, and as always I'm joined by my co-hosts Luke and Liam. How are you doing guys? Yeah, not too bad mate, not too bad. It's been a bit of a crazy couple of days. Bought my house and uh, boiler broke. And then uh, England are playing in the World Cup, so it's all been very busy. Um, and uh, all I'm all I'm glad about is that we're here. And we get to chat some construction, so is it know, could be could be a lot worse. Go on, Liam. Is what? it coming home, mate? Is it coming home, guys? Oh, I don't know about that, oh. but uh, they looked uh, they looked pretty good yesterday, <laughs> old England. So <laughs> maybe I'm a bit biased. Yeah, I'd, I'd biased. say it looked really good. I'd say a bit biased, really mate. England's the um, richest team in terms of how much each player's worth. Do you know that in the World Cup? Oh, I'm not surprised. Yeah. yeah. I'm not surprised. That's probably to, that's Premier League inflation, though. But yeah, um, hopefully, they don't before all the, it, con- the the construction like nerds, like my my in, like in myself as well, they're all going to go crazy about their football talk. So we better we better move to some construction talks <laughs> quick. But how are you, Liam? You're right, mate. I'm good, you're mate. Good. Yeah, I'm I'm great, mate. I'm uh, I'm doing a little landscaping course at the moment, so I can redo my backyard. Yeah, super super random. I know. Um, course yeah it's like an online course i don't know how good it is but um i'm keen to learn <laughs> <laughs> the ways of the trade mate basically yeah so that's is, what i'll be doing how uh how are you that- fred <laughs> yeah not, not super i'm not now very intrigued about your landscaping course i want to Me see too. these little brick edged paths and uh what, what are you doing like gravel is there going to be some sleepers in there waterfall everything mate everything um everything. I, I i came to the conclusion <laughs> i had I had, um, we moved into the house a month ago. We just got the uh, gutters clean, right? House isn't that big. It's three bedroom. Um, it's like three and a half meters wide, right? We've got four gutters. The guy, I got five quotes. Four of them were $350. One of them was 250 And I said, go on, I'll go with the 250 The guy turned up. He was in and out of my house, like did the gutters, and he was gone in 19 minutes. And I was like, no. still charged 250 he's like yeah that's a quote mate i was like wow okay so from then on i decided any um any any homework you know outside to the garden cleaning the roofs to clean the gutters i'm uh i'm gonna take it on myself oh. mm. good go. boy mm-hmm. cost of living crisis tips there um if you need <laughs> more advice just uh just email us in guys we'll, we'll let you know um you're telling about some big spiders liam in your house as well i mean not just these aren't just spiders guys these are huntsmen yeah, mate. I mean, Australian bad I've had, boys. I've had three in the last two weeks, and they're about the size of my hand. <laughs> Just roaming. are you when you say when you say they're the size of your hand? Yeah, he's got tiny hands. Are you, are you- <laughs> <laughs> little T Rex, Liam? Like, are you are you joking? Are you winding me up? No, I actually, no, no. I'm, I'm. I swear, I swear. Google um, Huntsman oh, Spider Australia. One was like nearly as big as my hand, and then I found one an hour later, and it was bigger than my hand. And then I was watching TV on Sunday night, and I just ran inside, um, and and went for my missus' leg. Um, so we're basically going to invest in some um, screens, some insect screens, which I'll be oh, obviously installing by myself. Up? Yeah, <laughs> not calling mate boy for two hundred dollars. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, mate. <laughs> 
I'm good, guys. I'm back in the UK, which is nice. I had a really, really good trip to New Orleans and the Procore Groundbreak event out there, which was awesome. Met so many people who love the B1M, who said such nice things about what we've been doing. So that was that was really nice, really nice trip. But now back on the ground uh, and very excited that we brought out a very cool video on the B1M yesterday all about an immense infrastructure project. I say that a lot. I say the word immense a lot. I'm trying to change my vocab a bit. But this one is particularly incredible. <laughs> uh, an under-ocean tunnel between Denmark and Germany, which we're going to be talking about in more detail today. And to help us do that, we've got a very special guest on the podcast, Mr. Ian Parkin, who's content producer at the B1M and is basically the mastermind behind this video project. How you doing, mate? Good, thanks. Thanks for having me. Good to have you here. Hey, how, time, how are you uh, feeling? Uh, good. Um, we just heard earlier, it was nice and early for Luke, but this is like a normal time of day for me, so, you know, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> what have you done already this morning, Ian? I know we're going deep already into your personal life, but uh, do you want my morning routine? Or well, not? Not like every detail, <laughs> but <laughs> uh, made a coffee, walked a dog. Not in that order. Now I'm here. <laughs> sure, that was exciting. <laughs> I mean, I could go into more detail, but you don't want it, obviously. Like those things are like this is how like entrepreneur Richard Branson or Elon Musk starts their day, and it's like you know, twenty minutes of Zen followed by a chat with a monk, and then. You know, all this, but no, just coffee and dog walk for you. Mm. Coffee and dog walk. That's that. I that's where they're missing out. I think all that, um, you know, Zen meditation. Just walk a dog around Peckham. That's all you need. <laughs> <laughs> now we're subjecting, I guess, to the same question. I want to know what's your what's your favorite building. Um, I'm going to go. Uh, it might be quite obvious. I'm going to go for the shard. Um, and I've got a special reason why, because I used to work next to Borough Market, which is like a stone's throw away from the Shard. So every day I saw the old building, uh, Southwark Towers, I think it was called. I saw that get demolished and I saw the Shard go up um, throughout, you know, its entire construction. So, uh, yeah, for, for me, it's the Shard. That's the one that does it for me. Mm, good choice. Very good choice. Not the walkie-talkie, no? Uh, is that the is that the one that's got the death ray that melted that yes, car and yeah. set fire to a shop? Exactly. It is yeah. exactly. Yes, I mean that's, mm, that's yeah. a cool sub defense mechanism. Also, but... also looks like a walkie talkie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's that exactly. one. How would you describe it? It's that that really ugly one that decimates the skyline. You know the one I mean? Yeah, yeah. And they they had to they had to fix a special sunscreen to the side after it was finished, didn't they? Mm, you yeah. know, they spent however million and years building it. And then, because it literally it reflected the sun and started to destroy stuff, yeah. literally. And they they spent years putting another sunscreen on the side of it. Yeah, it, mel- it melted a a, a a Jaguar car, like fully melted it. Yeah, I don't know if it was fully melted, yeah. but <laughs> no, it was just a puddle on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> I came back. Where's my Jaguar gone? <laughs> can't, can't park that there, mate. <laughs> 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 good story it was good well yeah i remember that happening it was uh and it's been all issues with like the wind around that building and stuff and yeah 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 it does get windy around there mm. and and there was a shop i think it was a barber shop opposite like a, a small old kind of like you know victorian barber shop um and it had a like a kind of straw mat and that got it set fire to the mat outside the shop yeah <laughs> so it, it the skyscraper is literally a fire hazard <laughs> There you go. There good, you go. Good well, we've got um, more more interesting stuff like this coming your way today on the world's best construction podcast, guys. Coming up for you, we have got the insane scale of Europe's new mega tunnel, a new thirty minute documentary that we brought out on the B one M yesterday. Also in the news, Poland building an entire new airport from scratch, an incredible looking Forest Stadium that was almost constructed in Milan, the tallest new skyscraper in Texas, and the whole thing is being peppered, sprinkled, and seasoned with some of your comments from the week. Let's take the roast dinner, put it in the oven, and cook it all up. So first up this week, we've got the insane scale of Europe's new mega tunnel, a pretty incredible video they brought out on the B1M yesterday, nearly 30 minutes long. We've spent a very long time researching this, making it, putting it together, traveling across... Germany, Denmark, Sweden. I think on that trip, we started in Denmark and then went to Germany for a bit, Denmark for a bit, Sweden for a bit, Denmark for a bit, Sweden for a bit, Denmark for a bit. It was all, it was very, very busy. 
but a really good uh, story that we put together all about a incredible infrastructure project, one of the world's biggest infrastructure projects between two countries. So a bit of context for you, if anyone doesn't know about this or hasn't heard about it before, basically the ScanMed corridor runs from Malta down in the Mediterranean, the nice, warm, sunny Mediterranean, all the way up to the icy tundras of Finland, and it's part of the Trans-European Transport Network. So the way that trains, planes, no, no, not not planes, but trains, cars, trucks, freight, all move around Europe, basically, through, through the transport network. There's some really impressive feats of engineering along the way, along that ScanMed corridor. So there's a 55-kilometer tunnel through a mountain in the Alps, the Brenner Base Tunnel, which we've covered on the B1M before, and also the Urusen crossing, which you may know between Denmark and Sweden, which starts going from Copenhagen in an underwater tunnel, which is an immersed tube tunnel, which we'll come back to later, then up onto a man-made island in the middle of the sea and onto an enormous cable-stayed bridge and over into Sweden. A incredible feat of engineering that you see me driving over uh, in this video as part of that story and me pretty much just geeking out to it because it was, uh, yeah, it's an incredible feat of construction. The problem with the ScanMed corridor at the minute is that there's a 500-kilometer detour through Denmark on part of the route, and it's all because there's nothing physical over the Femon Belt. Femon Belt is a 20-kilometer, 40-meter deep stretch of water between the German island of Femon and Denmark, and there's literally just a ferry service linking the two things. So you have these massive motorways, bridges, tunnels through mountains, all kinds of stuff, and then you get to the shoreline, in either Femon or Denmark on either side of the Femon belt, this stretch of water, and you've got to get queuing up for a ferry, going on a ferry, 45 minutes over. It's a nice ferry. We did it twice as part of this trip. Um, mm -hmm. But it's not very slick. So that's now all changing with the construction of a massive new immersed tube tunnel, which we're going to tell you a little about later on. New tunnel under the ocean that's going to have two motorways, two railways, a service tunnel, $7.5 billion dollars, it's linking two countries. I was blown away filming it. I've been blown away watching the edit come together. I'm very, very proud to see it come out of the B1M. What's the, what's your hot takes? I want to ask. I want to ask Ian last because I know he was very much involved in it. But Luke and Liam, what's your, what's your reaction? Uh, for me personally, mate, I, I think it's one of the most interesting engineering projects we've covered on the B1M. It's probably one of my favourite videos. The, the, the level of details that you guys went into of actually, you know, how and why it's being built, uh, the three different methods that they were looking at to build it, uh, the reasons why they couldn't build a bridge and then bore a tunnel and then the, why they went with the um, immersed tunnel um, in the end. Yeah, it's just incredible. I think some of the stats in there as well, um, the elements that they're connecting, how they're building in these huge hangars and they have to tug them out to sea straight away because they've got nowhere to store them. That's just awesome. Really, really awesome story. Yeah. To uh, follow up from Liam, I I agree. I think this is I, I, I think it's one of the best produced and made long form videos. Mm. There was a lot of humor in this. This this video had a lot of character in it. But I think uh, like the, the the nature of the video kind of lent itself to that. Um, I thought this was absolutely fascinating. And once again, I can't help but think, mate, like Scandinavia. We always end up talking so often about Scandinavia, and that's not because we're like we we love that region and stuff. It's because so much development happens there, so much infrastructure or technology engineering comes from that region uh, and it's really nice to see kind of this trans-european project you know something that's not just going to benefit denmark not just going to benefit sweden germany it's benefiting all of europe um and that's you, you need to kind of take that into consideration when you're talking about a project like this right this isn't just affecting a few million people this is billions of people right in this part of the world so yeah really really interesting and the technical stuff like what liam said the technical stuff mm. yeah it's 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 amazing because i can't lie you know the, the 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 tubing the tunnel method i i thought of the early days of how they built the london underground like the district line and stuff it's exactly what they did they would just kind of build a they would dig a tunnel at the top right and then just that's called something isn't it that has a specific name. 
Cut and cover. Cut and cover, yeah. See, Ian, that's why you're here, mate. There you go. That's why you're here, mate. <laughs> yeah. I do that at my barbers as well, but that's a different thing. <laughs> <laughs> Naughty boy. Naughty boy. No, it was fantastic, Fred. Loved it. Loved it. Uh, so, yeah, well done to the team on this one. Smashed it. Yeah, I have to say, I think the uh, the production quality, the humour, the depth of uh, detail is testament to Ian's approach and dedication to this video over an extended period of time. Um, he's done an amazing job on it. He's worked his worked his arse off, frankly, and it looks really, really good. It's come out looking mm-hmm. fantastic. The humour thing, I think. So Ian joined us, uh, joined the BMM team early this year. I think it was I think it was Valentine's Day. Ian actually, you joined. It was a, a yeah. match made in heaven. That's where um, the love affair started. Yeah. <laughs> And it's fair to say that we've uh, realised we've got the same sense of humour. So uh, me and Ian were making kind of sarcastic jokes and puns for most of this trip, driving around all these motorways and stuff, while our camera guy Jim is in the back just despairing about the fact he was on a trip with us. (laughs) (laughs) He was rewriting his CV as we were driving around. You know, he was like, (laughs) he was wondering about his career choices. (laughs) It's like it's an epic project, and I remember when you pitched it, you had all the stuff in there about you know your idea for filming on the beach and bringing it to life. You brought it to life in an incredible way. What was it like, just like trying to tackle this? It's obviously, it's a huge project. There's so much detail. There's decades worth of context and nuance to it all. What was it like trying to bring this to life? You know what? I it, it was actually quite an easy story to tell because, and this is following on from what Luke was saying. Um, the thing that really struck me about all of this was just how good Denmark is at building stuff like this. You know, they're incredible. Um, you know, we went there and there's a real sort of, uh, everybody we spoke to, there's a very sort of like calm confidence about everybody. You know, it's not kind of, it doesn't come across as arrogance. They're just like, you know, they know what the task is and they're getting on with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that goes all the way from the engineering detail all the way back to the start, so the, like the political will to get behind it, you know, like there's a tunnel, let's build a tunnel, let's get it done, let's get everybody on board, away we go. Um, and I thought that was really impressive. And you know, once you have that, it's a much, it, it's quite an easy story to tell. It kind of writes itself. You know, there is a lot of historical background to it, which we go, we we do go into in the film. Uh, Sweden plays a big part in this. Um, Sweden's getting a pretty sweet deal, I have to say. Yeah. Um, you'll have to watch the video to find out why. Um, but that was really what um, what impressed me most uh, and what made it easy to tell the story. Classic Sweden. Classic Sweden, <laughs> getting the sweet deals. <laughs> Not paying for it. <laughs> Hello, Sweden, if you're listening. <laughs> yeah, oh. Is it is it worth clearing up uh, what this is? Yeah, should sure. We, should we kick off? Yeah, um, definitely. Because yeah. basically the, the Urusund Bridge that Fred mentioned earlier, which if anybody's watched the TV show The Bridge, you know, the classic Scandinoir um, TV show, it's an incredible bridge. It's stunning. Like, it looks amazing. And in the middle of the sea, it just disappears into a tunnel. It's like a man-made island. It just disappears. So Denmark wanted to build that with Sweden. So Denmark approached Sweden and said, can we build this bridge uh, to Malmo? Uh, and the Swedes said, yeah, but we want quicker access to Ge- we want quicker access to Germany. So we'll let you build this bridge if you look into building a bridge in the Fehman belt between Denmark and, and Germany. Um, and the Danes said yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, it didn't cost the Swedes a penny. Brilliant. I mean, if I ever need to negotiate anything, Sweden, man, Sweden. <laughs> <laughs> They've pulled a blinder. More oh. money for meatballs now. Yeah. <laughs> Histor- historically speaking, that's such a classic Sweden move. <laughs> that, just, that just fits in with their history so well. But uh, I think, I think you know, joking aside, that goes to show how much um, collaboration you know, happens in that part of the world. They don't necessarily see each other as like rival countries. It's like their their sibling rivalry, right? And Germany's kind of their cousin. And I, I I like that attitude. I think a lot a lot of places, not just the UK, a lot of places could, you know, take a, a, a lot away from that. So and this and uh, you know, a project like this is the epitome of that, isn't it? It's literally bridging, you know, parts of a continent. 
Well, in this case, it's tunneling, but yeah. Tunneling, yeah. <laughs> 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 doesn't sound quite as romantic, but yeah, I suppose they're tunneling. No, you're right. Yeah. It, it underlines the power, I'm saying it again, but it underlines the power of construction, the way it can bring countries together and affect whole economies, trade routes, you know, a wider continent, how people travel around it. It's absolutely, that's that's incredible. But the yeah, just like you say, the attitude of that part of the world and their approach to just getting things done, getting it built, how infrastructure can connect people, the positivity side of it. Yeah, I have to say everyone we met was incredibly helpful and positive about the project. I mean, we did talk to one of the action groups against the project at one point, which obviously was was less positive. You obviously see that in the video as well. But on the whole, most people are very supportive and open about it. And in fact, even you know, even the climate act it's not the climate action group, the uh the action group against the project were very warm and friendly, very welcoming to FEMA and had lots to say, lots of positive things to say about the island. So that made the whole trip, well, I found the whole production process pretty straightforward in that regard because we had so many great people working with us. The attitude generally across the whole thing was was fantastic. Um, other challenges were me missing the turning on the sat-nav while I'm trying to do bits to camera. <laughs> <laughs> Not going the right way. Uh, or parking up twice and forgetting to put the handbrake on in the hire car and uh, us getting out and it's slightly rolling away, which was fun. So. Oh no! Yeah. yeah, it was fine, but you know, I at no point did I, I ever think that Fred is not a safe driver. So that's fine. Really? Was it a, was it a manual no, car? I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> it's terrifying, mate. <laughs> we had the, you know, when you drive across a lane and it starts beeping, that was going off constantly. You oh, know, wow. all sorts. Wow. <laughs> was it a one point? Was it an automatic or a manual car? It was a manual. Oh. Oh, not your strong black black windows in the back. It was very gangster. Ooh. Oh, um, mate. It had this like lane control thing where basically if you go across the lane without indicating, the car will pull you back into your lane sort of thing. Yeah. So I was indicating it was fine, but occasionally on a, on a high-speed motorway with no one there, I did drift over to a lane to change lanes without indicating, and it pulled me back, which was uh, slightly terrifying for everyone involved. But yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Shout out to my insurance company if you're listening to this, just to say, keep my premium nice, mate. I <laughs> I am a safe driver, I promise. <laughs> I thought you got some of the B-roll at Dartford. I can't lie, mate. I thought you were like, oh, I've, I've already, I've already uh, been to Scandinavia, I've been to Denmark, I can't go back, so let me just drive on the Dartford Cross here and get some B-roll. Yeah, you super in the car. <laughs> yeah that's what I thought. I was like, it's Dartford. Looks I've obviously like watched stuff like Top Gear and stuff here. I haven't I haven't done bits to camera while driving before and driving on the other side of the road in a foreign country with someone right up behind you, trying to concentrate on the sat nav and what turning to take, trying to remember your lines and trying to do it in a spot in between the trees where the sunlight's mm. right was mm. uh yeah, more than I bargained for. Turns out it's a proper skill. <laughs> so tell us more about like the um, logistics of building a big boy like this, mate. Because there's a lot of there's a lot of facts, there's a lot of figures in this in this video, um, and some of it is a bit controversial. I mean, we've already mentioned, you know, there are people who oppose this project, and I, I suppose we'll get into this. But something that's this big, right, has a lot of numbers that go along with it, right? Yeah, I mean, it's absolutely huge. There's nearly... So the way that they're making this tunnel, instead of boring underneath the bedrock, similar to what they did on the channel tunnel, they're making uh, an immersed tube tunnel. So they so they dig a trench, and then they prefabricate these concrete elements and just put them in the trench, and then at the end, they'll cover it all over. So for these concrete elements, just those, they're making about 90 of them. Each of those elements is about 200 metres long, uh, over 40 meters wide and i think nearly 50 meters high so they're huge they're so big they're made up of nine uh sub segments um and because it, it this is all concrete so you have to keep pouring that concrete non-stop to make it which if anybody's ever worked in concrete knows that's insane but yeah. get this like once they start they're doing a few tests at the moment just to make sure everything's right they got the the aggregate right and the crews can work together okay cuz it's it's going to be running 24/7 for three and a half years to make these elements it's yeah astounding wow. that's a lot of concrete when they um when they when they take them out on the tugboats to drop them right, I know we mentioned in the video that they when they drop them down they have to be within fifteen millimeters um to a line. How are they? 
how do they how do they work that out? How do they actually do that? Um, so it's yeah, it's really difficult. <laughs> basically, <laughs> oh, I thought so, mate. So, yeah. <laughs> so they get it into place. Um, you know, they kind of get it roughly into place in the sea, and then I think there are kind of four winches oh, wow. that are on the seabed, um, and then. The, the elements, they have a, like a big ballast tank. So the ballast tank gets sunk, and that will that will sink the element down. And then these four winches that are on each corner of the element, they kind of, they're what do the, the fine-tuning as it goes in. And, you know, obviously, that's all kind of con- computerized and yeah. uh, and all sorts. But, um, I mean, yeah, it's that's huge. And if you think, like, it's the sea... Mm. Um, you know, it's big, it's windy, it's choppy. There's all of these other conditions that you've got to think about. Mm. Um, so, you know, the, the principle behind it is kind of easy to explain, but yeah, 15, 15 millimeters, 90 of these things, about 90 of these things over the course of 20 kilometers. It's yeah, absolutely nuts. Yeah. I think it's probably worth talk, talking people through the, the detail of the step-by-step process of the engineering. So how this, how this works on paper, but then the feeling that we got when we went there in and actually seeing it being built, the scale of yeah. it, both just in terms of its ambition, its engineering was, was mind blowing. And you get, I've obviously, I've seen the, I've seen the animated video of this before. I've, I've read about this project before, but when you actually go there and see the people and the scale and you stand on a bit of land and go, Oh yeah, we're you know nearly a kilometer and a half off the coast right now because this is land we've reclaimed for the construction harbor. Yeah. It's, it's crazy stuff like that. That really just blows your mind. So, so yeah. I mean, yeah, for anyone that hasn't seen the video yet, taking you through the the process of how they do this. Basically, they built this large work harbour on the Danish coast side of the Femon Belt at a place called Ribbyhound, which I will have pronounced wrong. Send me your emails. Send me your grief. But I'm pretty sure from the Danish guy that was stood next to me teaching me uh, that it's Ribbyhound. And the construction site they've built there now is actually bigger than Ribbyhound Town itself. If you look on Google Maps, it's it's astonishing the scale of it. So they started by building a work harbour there that enabled materials to be delivered to site. And right now they're building these enormous tunnel element factories, which is where the, obviously the tunnel elements are going to be built. You see those being built uh, in the video. You see me standing in the factory in the video. In there, those 89 concrete tunnel elements are going to be constructed. As Ian said, each one over 200 metres long, 40 metres wide. And in, in each one of them, there's two motorways, a rail, two rail tunnels and a service tunnel. Like... It, there's a bit in the video where I stand in front of one of the test segments. I stand in front of just one of the rail tunnels and it absolutely wow. dwarfs me. It's like a multi-story building behind me. And that's just one of the rail tunnels. It's yeah, uh, yeah mind-blowing stuff. Each of those weigh 73,000 tons. They're wheeled out of the factory into this kind of drained basin. Big doors, big watertight doors close around them. The basin is flooded. The ballast tanks around the elements help it float tugboats then drag it out of the doors at the other end of the basin and out to sea out into the femon belt they're dropped into that pre-dredged trench on the seafloor with that 15 millimeter accuracy we spoke about and then the space in between them is drained of water and that creates a vacuum pulling the two elements uh, closer together seal around them gets squashed together this kind of uh, gina gasket we talk about um who i thought was a pop singer but there you go she's uh, she's also a seal around the around the tunnel elements uh and then yeah that's it the tunnel gets drained out tunnels fitted out whole thing's due to open in 2029 and when you say it like that it's a very logical impressive feat of engineering mm-hmm. but as i said when you're there on the ground it it just dwarfs you with its with its scale now, in, in the video, you talked about the alternatives they were thinking about doing, right? So one was a cable uh, bridge, and the other one was just a tunnel, like what Ian mentioned earlier. Um, and there, there was an interesting fact where it's like, yeah, most bridges run from um, west to east, don't they? Instead of north, like big bridges. And that's something that I've never thought about. I've mm. never thought about. But I will say, Dartford Bridge runs north to south, <laughs> So I mentioned that earlier, and that's a big boy. So cheeky shout out to Dartford Bridge. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, but I didn't know that. So talk us through why they didn't go through with those uh, options. Was it just too expensive, or what? What's to do with that? Um, 
there's a few there's a few reasons so the wind the wind is kind of a minor reason to be honest but you know you can build a bridge to withstand pretty much any wind conditions but the trouble is is that you got the traffic going across it so you know if you got a like a, a super long freight train or high speed train that basically acts as a huge sail so if the wind's mm. blowing against that, you know, it, you know, all sorts could happen. You push it off the bridge or whatever. Um, so the bridge could withstand it, but in strong winds, they might have to close the bridge because it would be too dangerous for traffic. Um, right. That's that's a minor reason. The the biggest reason they didn't build a bridge was just because it's it's so deep. You know, it it this is the thing that we come back to a few times in the film. It looks like a really kind of like small kind of fairly insignificant bit of water. You know, you look at it on a map, it doesn't look all that. Um, but actually it's like, it's surprisingly long and it's surprisingly deep and it's got a busy, uh, it's got a busy shipping channel that goes through it. So they would have had to build these huge concrete piers that go down 40 meters, you know, um, the spans of the bridge. I think that the spans would in the middle, to clear the shipping lane would have to be about 700 meters long, um, which nothing like that's ever been constructed for a, for a cable stayed bridge, you know, that has the, the road and rail on it. Um, so that was, it was their first option, you know, cause Denmark could build the Urison bridge that they the built the great belt bridge. They were pretty good at bridges. Um, yeah. this was, this is a bridge too far, if you will. Oh. Um, <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much. There's plenty more where that came. I from. love that. <laughs> <laughs> so so that's why they sacked off the bridge and then the the tunnel underneath so there's basically two main types of tunnel there's there's a board tunnel and then there's an IMT uh so a board tunnel like the channel tunnel that's where you get a big uh TBM tunnel boring machine um and drill underneath the water through the bedrock whatever it is uh, and then come up at the other side um there's a few reasons why they didn't really seriously look at that the main one was because of the width you know if you're doing a if you're making a, a board tunnel, you're usually doing it for like a single railway or a single motorway, but you know, this need like two separate wa- railways an access tunnel uh, and a four lane motorway. So it would have been far too wide. Um, and then the last thing they came across was the immerse tube tunnel, which is what they're building. But the thing is nobody had ever built one this long before. This is going to be the longest in the world by far. Um, so it's a it's a real real stretch of their engineering prowess. Well, all right, to get it okay. done. yeah. I didn't realize that. That's crazy. That is crazy. And it's impressive. Yeah, yeah. It's it, it's absolutely amazing. There's a few reasons why the the principle of how they build it has remained the same, but it's just their the finessing of their technique has has improved massively. Um, another reason is uh, car fumes. So, you know, kind of 20 years ago when they were first thinking about this, um, cars emitted a lot more fumes, which would have meant that you would need much more ventilation. And for, to do that, they basically would have had to build huge tunnels that stick out in the middle of the right. sea, right. Um, which is a danger to shipping and all sorts. Uh, and if one of them falls over, then you flood the entire tunnel. So that's not, <laughs> that's not a great idea. Um, but since then the emissions that, that cars and lorries produce have come down significantly so they don't need to ventilate it as much. Um, yeah, all sorts. You don't get what a, what a challenging stretch of water is until you actually go across it on a ferry which uh, and try and do some bits to camera in the wind, which was interesting. So <laughs> it's, yeah, on the, as Ian says on the map, it doesn't look like much, but it's the ferry takes 45 minutes to get across. And when you're out, in the middle of the sea there it, you are you can't really see denmark or germany either side you are way out in the open the waves are choppy the wind is is baltic quite literally and uh, and very very cold and and strong you know so it's and that was on a pretty good day you can see in the video it was it was reasonably sunny when we filmed that stuff i was being battered by the winds trying to get trying to get a decent take in amongst all the noise and uh, yeah and weather but um but yeah, when you go there, you understand. You know, this is this is a stretch of ocean we're tunneling under here. And as I said earlier, there's been many other great feats of construction along the Scanmed corridor, but this one in particular, largely because of the soil conditions and the depth of it, mm. uh, is yeah, particularly remarkable. It's and I, I say it again, it's not until you go and walk around this factory where they're building it and you see the dedication of the people, the practice, the the effort that's going in to get this right the scale of the operation that's being run here it just uh 
as I said, I use the word dwarfing. It, it dwarfs everything else that you that you think about and look at. Most other construction projects start to pale into significance alongside what they're doing here. Mm. It's the, the construction site. They've been building it. They've been building the construction site for you know over two years now, and they've still not finished that. Um, and it's like Fred says, it's huge. It's on the scale of an airport. You know, imagine yeah. if you imagine if you walked around Heathrow Airport um, with the with the huge uh, aircraft hangars and all sorts. Like that's how big we're talking. It's gigantic. Wow. Obviously, there was um, there was a lot of the we we showed a bit of the locals pushing back due to like the environmental issues and things like that. Be great to hear all three of you guys' thoughts on. Um, where, what your stance is, you know, we did this with HS2. Um, do the economical mm. results outweigh the environmental impacts? I'll start with um, I'll start with you, Fred. Yeah, so it's, it's a good question. I think there's a really important point we make in this video that, you know, when this tunnel's operational, it will help to cut low, you know, short haul flights. It will help make travel more efficient. It will introduce rail travel, which is generally more efficient. Uh, but building it is not very environmentally friendly. You know, it requires enormous amounts of concrete to build this tunnel. So there's a lot of uh, there. There is a, an environmental impact first off. Now the project team are doing a lot to mitigate the environmental impacts, particularly around the dredging, around some carbon offsetting, around how they're they're going about powering the whole construction site by renewable energy. You know, they're doing what they can. But you can't get away from the fact that there is this huge long-term prize of more sustainable green travel. It's creating a green travel corridor in a way, but building it is yeah requires not just some concrete guys. It is vast, sprawling yeah. amounts of concrete over yeah. over three years. Um, and I have to say, I wasn't expecting this. When I went to the island of Fiman, it is surprisingly more beautiful than you think it is. It really is a standout, beautiful little slice of Germany that I've, I've never been to before. Um, and I can understand where people are coming from with mm. concerns around, you know, creating a, a travel corridor through there, creating somewhere that's going to be potentially feel quite transient. And there's this, I guess, sort of anxiety around, is this going to be good for the island or is it going to turn it into a bit of a travel thoroughfare? Um I, I see where they're coming from. Generally, going back to Liam's question, I lean towards this being a really good thing generally for Europe. I think it's going to improve connectivity and make travel on the continent much more sustainable overall. Yeah, to um, to jump off from that point, I'm, I'm pretty much with Fred. Um, I feel like, yeah, there's always going to be kind of a... Uh, ecological downside to a project like this it's too big not to make to have some sort of negative impact on the environment um but the point of it is that long term it can save a lot for the environment right it can save a lot of things um i liked the point the video made like with air travel this will probably cut like air travel between sweden and denmark to germany by you know whatever percentage right so there's that to consider um and that's not even thinking of like cars and travel like this is going to save in the long term over the course of like a decade plus like a crazy crazy amount of travels right um so there's that to consider there was someone in the video who did say that this project was destroying the foundation of economics. I was like, is it? <laughs> maybe, maybe I maybe I misheard that or something. <laughs> but I was like, if anything, it's adding to the economy. You know, this isn't going to destroy the economy. Um, it's going to cost a lot, of course, but like what you're going to get in return is is crazy. And then the other point was that um, it's a holiday island. This is affecting. It's not like people necessarily. <laughs> You know, it's not like this is destroying a community per se, is it? Do you know what I mean? It's like rich people complaining that their holiday homes aren't going to have like the the good view that it once had. That's the vibe I got. Maybe, mm. maybe I'm, um, um, maybe I've got the wrong end of the stick there. Maybe I'm being a bit grumpy. But Liam, am I being unreasonable? No, mate. mate no, I was going to say, you know, um, I don't know how many people are going to travel there use the tunnel. Was, didn't we say it's a hundred euros to use the tunnel? Um, so. They're, they're going to try and make it about the same as the ferry. Um, so if you get an on-the-day ticket for the ferry, a return 
return ferry journey on the day is about 100 euros which is pretty steep mm. um that's Absolutely. that's not confirmed yeah um i know the if you go over the urusund bridge again it, on the day if you get a return ticket for that that's about 100 euros oh, wow. um but you know you're paying for quality what can I say? And the, for the Danes, that's like 20 quid, isn't it? Yeah. You know, that's, that's like, that's like yeah. Chinese. Do you know what I mean? You've got yeah. well, 100 euros. That's about a thousand pounds at the moment, I think. <laughs> <laughs> it was a joke about exchange rates, though. For no to one to got your that. point, though, Luke, like people, they've, they've done a lot of uh, effort. You know, they've, they've, they've built the factory for this on the Danish side of the Thumon Belt. The, most of, the majority of the construction site is on the Danish side. There's, there's obviously a tunnel portal and some infrastructure to build on the german side but they've really tried to minimize that they've really tried mm. to minimize its impact as far as possible um yeah so the, the concerns people have they they really have tried to mitigate them i think and then i've got to say we have sorry Liam. no no i was just going to say are they not um building another tunnel through the Femen sound as well to connect the southern part of the island so it's going to be more connected to the mainland essentially right yeah so this is now that's where it gets handed over to Germany. So this, the phase two of the project is um, Germany upgrades the, the the current motorway that goes across Fiemen. They're going to build another tunnel across Fiemen Sound, but I mean, that's super small. Like it's nowhere near the scale of this. I think it's probably about a couple of hundred meters. Um, but, you know, like we, we cover a lot of really big infrastructure stories uh, at the B1M. And I've got to say the like what Fred was saying, the lengths that FEMA and AS are going to um, to mitigate the impacts of what they're doing is, uh, you know, genuinely quite extraordinary. Um, I think there have been, aside from the issue of um, carbon output, there's been a lot of kind of challenges about um, the like the the ecology of the of the FEMA belt, you know, of the the marine life, and because when you dig up all of that water, it'll cloud the water and blah blah blah. Um, those arguments. So there have been six separate court cases um, over this in German courts. Wow. And FEM and AS have won every single one of them on environmental grounds. Um, so, you know, I mean, I'm not an expert, but you kind of have to go along with that. Mm. Um, but just in general, I think in, in Germany, because Germany has a very short coastline, and I think people there are very attached to the coastline in a way that we perhaps don't appreciate here. You know, like families will go to a specific place every year on holiday and they're, they're very, very attached to it. So, you know, there probably is a bit of nimbyism to it, but I mean, you know, fair enough. But then that's what the courts are there to decide. You know, if there's if there's a good case against it, then that needs to be heard, you know. I thought all the Germans holidayed in Greece, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Let's specific oh, on the in Greece. Same with the beach towels. <laughs> yeah, the beach towels down at the pool. <laughs> Six o'clock in the morning, yeah. beach towel there. They've won. Well, you can't blame them for being organised. What can I say? Yeah. Okay, that's the uh, that's the Swedes and the Germans leaving our audience. Thanks for that, guys. It's been a great it's been a great podcast so far. Swedes, Swedes, Swedes get nothing but compliments, mate. You know, and the Germans, we love them. <laughs> We envy them, really. It was um, we got some really good uh, access. I really enjoyed the. We did like four days altogether. So we flew out one day, filmed two days. Well, fl- filmed on the fly out day and filmed on two full days, and then flew back on the last day. Um, and it was a really good trip. We got some astonishing access to some amazing places. Went to end up going to four countries in in four days, which was very very cool. Oh no, Ian, what was your what was your favorite part of the of the production? Please don't say walking away from me at Gatwick and getting home. I was running, mate. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> uh, for me, I think it's got to be, you know, that luxury five-star accommodation that we had um, in rugby. That was phenomenal. No, I'm only joking. It was awful. Um, you know, the the construction site was is incredible. Like, I'm, I'm going to remember that for a very long time. Uh, aside from that, I think my favourite bit was um, going onto the Urusund Bridge, you know, we drove over there. We had really great access, um, and so there's the bit where the Urusund Bridge it approaches Denmark, and then because of the flight, uh, the flight paths around Copenhagen Airport, uh, they had to turn the tunnel into. Sorry, they had to turn the bridge into a tunnel. So there's a man-made island called Paperholm Island that we went to. We filmed on there for a bit, and our guide was saying 
you know, so this is this is a man-made island in the middle of the Baltic in northern Europe. Um, it's only like about twenty years old, and it's got like uh, venomous spiders on it and stuff like this. We were driving onto the island, and our and our um, our guide was saying, "Oh, you're not afraid of uh, spiders and snakes, are you?" We're like, "Well, yeah." Um, <laughs> and then he said, "Yeah, because." <laughs> We have trains that come all the way from Spain up to Sweden and use this crossing. And then when the when the trains kind of park on the island just before they go off the bridge, over time all these creepy crawlies have got off the the train. So wow. it's this weird, uh, you know, kind of like uh, ecosystem on this man-made island that's got deadly snakes on it. <laughs> Sounds like Liam's house. <laughs> <laughs> Does it's called I actually, Australia. <laughs> I actually just checked under my desk to make sure there wasn't a spider just now. <laughs> I've, uh, that was, I've that was a- an incredible story because he was saying there's no there's because the spiders have no natural predators. That's like where they're thriving most in the world is on this island we visited. Yeah. So and he told us this as we're getting out of the car. Like, <laughs> oh yeah, there's this there's this like infested with venomous spiders. <laughs> they're like, great. How big are these spiders? <laughs> And you know what? I didn't. I didn't tell you this, Fred, because I didn't want to spook you. But when you were filming up on the boulders on on the sea wall, I saw a lot of cobwebs. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> but, you know, it's good. To, it's good to tell thanks, you that. Now, thanks for saving than, that. Yeah, <laughs> but I made sure you got it in the can first. You know? <laughs> mm. Mm. There was some. Um, there was a bit of a photo shoot I saw happened on a pier there in. <laughs> With Fred, <laughs> what happened there? I t- I turn around for five minutes. You know, I mean, I, Jim and Fred. I worked them pretty hard over that four days. And I turn around five minutes later. Fred's there. He's like doing a, a bikini shoot. You know, lay down on this pier, getting his glamour shots in. Yeah, I think, I think you've gone off for a wee somewhere, Ian, and you've gone you've gone to find a toilet in the middle of nowhere, basically. And uh, yeah, impossible. Yeah, I, well, I I said let's wind up the, some of the company people on Slack and. Uh, yeah, did some poses on the end of a pier, which seemed to go down quite well. One of them even made it to my Instagram, so there you go. <laughs> Just a good lad. You got to give him something. You yeah. do, you do. Yeah, the Fred yeah. Mills fan club, mate. Got to yeah, keep you, it you sweet. Got a, yeah, exactly. You got to drop some meat in the fish tank every now and then. Keep him happy. <laughs> <laughs> what a thought, <laughs> Ian. We didn't get to whether you think this product's a good idea or not. Uh, yeah, I think it's a great idea. I mean, look, the, the big elephant in the room is the um, is the carbon dioxide production. I think this FEM and AS estimate about two million tons of carbon is produced during it. So that is the elephant in the room. But aside from that, I mean, it is going to have a huge impact. You know, I mean, it's it's amazing just in its own right. But you know, it's it's going to be used for, for at least the next 100 years. And it's going to be one of those things that's going to become so essential that as soon as it goes up, people aren't going to remember what life was like without it. Yeah, definitely. It's an, it's an amazing project. I'm really proud we got to tell it on the B1M. It's it's kind of quintessential B1M infrastructure documentary, mega projects. It's, it's immense, huge impact on the world. Do go and watch it, guys. Let us know what you think. It's a 27-minute treat up there for free on our YouTube channel right now. Let us know what you think about this. Send your emails in podcast at the b1m.com. Also in the news this week, Poland is constructing an entire new airport from scratch. Now, to say this looks beautiful, I think would be an understatement. Ostrom Partners designed. It's going to handle 40 million passengers a year when it first opens. CPK Airport is what it's going to be called. That's very snappily named. I think that might be a working title for now going to sit about 37 kilometers west of warsaw not to be too specific but about 37 kilometers west of warsaw is where it's being built as i said foster and partners and bureau hapold led consortium uh, consortium doing it being designed as a symbolic gateway to poland uh and even though it's an airport terminal uh, and airports are kind of fundamentally not very sustainable the buildings they're trying to make as sustainable as possible i bloody love this what do you guys think I think it looks amazing. It's it's classic Foster and Partners, isn't it? Mm. You know, I mean, you get them, give them a, a few billion, tell them to build an airport. It's not going to be bad, is it? You won't wait to put it. I love it. Here's Ian. a few billion quid and a blank sheet of paper. Go. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, you know, what's going to go wrong? This looks outstanding. Mm. It looks outstanding. But what I like about it is that it doesn't just look good from like an aerial shot. You know, that that is kind of important when you're landing in an airport, I suppose. 
Um, but I like that the the interiors are, are they're, they're fantastic. They're gorgeous. Um, they're big. They're wide open space. It, it it looks calming. I think we've spoken about that before. How some airports you go there, they just feel and look busy and harsh and not really comfortable. This this is everything an airport should be. Yeah, mm-hmm. really, really, really impressive. Yeah, it looks beautiful. It looks nice and spacious, right? With that high mm. ceiling, really open, lots of light. Um, yeah. Looks like very laid back in an airport, which is what you want. What I'm kind of thinking is we've been covering a lot of projects in um, China recently, right, on the podcast. It, it's great to see something like this being built and designed like this in Poland. You know, it's a bit of a it's a bit of a dark horse, if you ask me. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean exactly. I know what you mean definitely exactly. that's kind so of reflected in the comments as well people saying this this tops beijing daxing for me obviously that really famous like beijing uh, beijing da- <clears throat> start again beijing dashing which is that incredible bizarre deed designed airport over in china mm-hmm. someone in the comments saying this is better than that for them someone else saying the roof is amazing would love to see how they build that uh poland o'hare or polo hair is what someone called it which was yeah, quite I funny saw that. that was funny man <laughs> um, but then on the flip side there's someone else uh commented who i think lives in poland simply lives in poland who said that the lack of public support demand and favorable conditions in the current economic and political environment makes me feel this project will never see the light of day so mm-hmm. in amongst all the fire emojis and people very excited about this project on in the comments there are some people who think the time isn't quite right isn't there there's a there's a big boom in construction in Warsaw over the last few years? There is, yeah. 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 That's like really- had kind of like a skyscraper boom. Yeah. Lots of uh as well as like other other construction, obviously, but a lot of tall towers have been built in Warsaw. Yeah. yeah. That photo, the the uh, number four the photo, the big beautiful windows that just go up forever. That's amazing. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that is beautiful. What I, what I also, what else I love about it is there's not that many plants shoved in there. There's just a few trees around it. It's not too many. <laughs> well, that's a nice segue if I ever had one. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about our next project. <laughs> if uh, if you like plants and things, and we've got we've got a little treat for you right here. So over on tomorrow's build. Uh, Stefano Boeri Architects, uh, as part of the COP27 Climate Change Conference, which has just wrapped up in Egypt, uh, they revealed their competition entry that, that for a new stadium in Milan, for the San Siro in Milan, that uh, wasn't successful, but that they thought would be good for the world to see and learn about at a time when we're trying to build in a more sustainable way. So it's called the International Forest Stadium. And like everything, Stefano Boeri, there's one or two trees on it. I mean, the thing is completely covered in trees. It's absolutely, it does look impressive in the render. The idea with this was they're going to create a, a green lung in the heart of the city to kind of absorb carbon and help improve air quality in the city. And the idea was also to create a welcoming experience for football fans, surrounding them with 3,300 trees and 56,000 shrubs as they watch matches. The whole thing would have absorbed around 162 tonnes of CO2 each year. Can you see England fans in this one, Luke? <laughs> yeah, I knew you were going to come to me first, mate. I had, a, I had a feeling. I feel like, I can't lie, mate, it looks so gimmicky. I'll start with that. It looks so, so, so gimmicky. Like, we're seeing this over and over and over again. Just like, you know, shove a tree on top of a building or a stadium and it looks, and there you go, you're done. Um, and I can't help but feel like you know, they don't understand football or sports culture. You know, this has nothing to do with football. We're talking about the home of like AC and Inter Milan, you know, some of the most respected clubs on the planet. And there's there's no nod to to the sport. There's no nod to that history. Um, and I think they just fundamentally misunderstand what football fans can do. And I'm not saying that's a good thing, right? For a lot of football fans are, you know, really, really sh- uh, put a shame to, to the sport, right? And, and following the sport. Um, sadly, but that is the reality of the world we live in, right? So you don't design something that you, I mean, just look at it. it. The area around it looks beautiful in this proposal with the trees, it's like park everywhere, but they got like, what is it? Like a running track in the middle of a forest. 
Yeah. You're like, what, what are you thinking? Who is going to do that? Who's going to go, do you know what? I fancy a run around the San Siro quickly. Let me just <laughs> grab, my, grab of, my trainers. And what are you... Oh. One of the comments we've got, this is from Sam, one of, our, one of my biggest fans, Sam, who said, uh, when you're running on the inside <laughs> and have to dodge a tree... <laughs> <laughs> there is a reference to the second is. render where there's a running track with lots of foliage around it and yeah it's a bit like um a bit like my morning run actually with a few plants and bushes to navigate it's it's just this is this is a perfect example of sometimes and i say sometimes because that's really important sometimes architecture studios and architects are so detached from reality and the working class that's exactly what this is probably never been to a football game I'm just saying. I'm just saying. <laughs> I would. I wouldn't mind. I mean, yeah, I, I I agree with what a lot of what Luke is saying. Um, I wouldn't mind it if the stadium wasn't covered in trees. I wouldn't mind if you actually go to a stadium and you walk through like a little bit of a forest and things like that. But the stadium's still a stadium in in my eyes. To to me, that's not really a stadium. What are your thoughts, Ian? Well, I I mean. There's an obvious way to get football fans into it, which is, you know, if you if you could attach a beer tap to the trees and turn them all into like, you know, thousands of mini bars, then they'd love it. Mm. They'd go absolutely nuts for it. I know I would. <laughs> Good lad. Yeah. I mean, like, for, <laughs> I agree. I agree with I agree with the points, obviously, but uh, for balance, just for balance, yeah. The yeah. the principle of urban greening and more trees in our cities and taking a very big energy dependent structure like a stadium and making it more sustainable, I think is a good thing. So I, I agree that they've. I think it's a good thing that they've made this design available for the world to see, debate, and learn from. Yeah, true. I agree. When you when you try and apply this. And Stefano Boeri's very kind of clever tree style to a football stadium. It probably doesn't come off. And I have to say, I think the populist design that won the San Siro design that we shared on the B1M earlier in the year, I, I think that's a much better design. They've made the right choice. Yeah. But the the idea and the principles of this, as I said last week, the intention behind all this stuff is good. So we could learn from that. Sometimes the renders and stuff that comes out on social media is a little bit uh, clickbaity. Yeah. It's all about execution, isn't it? All about execution. But you're right, you're right. The principle's a good idea. It's just, yeah, execution. Yeah. We've got a lovely little platter this week. There's all sorts of extra stuff happening in the news, all sorts of exciting things. We've also, we're now going over to Texas, where uh, another new skyscraper has been announced. So we recently announced, I think back in August, September, that the, there was going to be the new tallest building in Texas was being built in Austin. It's now being overtaken and only about, by about three meters or something silly. But uh, new, yeah, so new 315-meter skyscraper rising in uh, Austin, 80 stories high. It's called the Wilson Tower, designed by HKS Architects. 450 residential apartments when it completes. So you can see the the big uh, boom in Austin. People wanting to move there now is starting to play out in the residential real estate market. Mm. It looks gorgeous. I have to say, sorry, I've stolen your word, Luke, but it looks really gorgeous. It's got this very nice lay system to protect it from Austin's intense summer heat, and yeah, I think it's I think it's really nice. As I said, it beats the uh, the nearby waterline developments by about three meters, and will become the tallest building in Austin this week. That'll probably change next week. <laughs> it's very slick, isn't it? I think it looks very slick. It kind of fits the yeah. city skyline. You know what I mean? It's not too. Sometimes I think when they you can build big skyscrapers or the biggest one in town and things like that, they can be quite random and, and not really fit the current skyline. I think yeah. this, this this suits it. Can I yeah. ask the, the 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 photo on the last slide, Fred? Is that the same building? No, mate. That is the uh, that is the waterline developments, which is the one it overtakes, as referenced agree, yeah. clearly in the caption. Yeah. <laughs> We talked about that one a few weeks yeah, ago, didn't we? That's what I saw a few weeks ago. So and I, that I don't, came out I'm as much of a burn. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't mean I didn't mean that to come out as so much of a burn. Sorry, mate. Sorry. <laughs> I'm not a fan of that one at all. The 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 um the the other tower. No, but this one I I do actually I I really really like. Um, yeah, it's slick. It's a cool shape. Um, the cladding's pretty funky, but in a good way. 
Um, don't don't mind Ian. Just uh, the yeah, sounds some, of uh, South London in the background. This is some <laughs> Peckham Peckham ambiance we've got there. <laughs> it's just Peckham trying to tell you what it thinks of the skyscraper. <laughs> what what does, the police? What does what does Peckham think of the skyscraper? Ian, what do you reckon, mate? Uh, I think Peckham is like fully on board with it. I think it's great. I think Peckham wants one for itself. <laughs> 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 lots of uh, lots of nice comments in this one. Some really interesting ones for people on the ground as well. So uh, Miamification has begun, meaning that Austin's going to start looking like Miami soon with all its uh, high-rise skyscrapers, hopefully without the flooding. Uh, another one says, Austin's growing so fast. Every time I drive through there, there seems to be at least one or two new skyscrapers. It's crazy to witness. A uh, few others saying, I guess there won't be any homeless people living in this building, reference to the probably high-end residential apartments that are going to be there, although I believe some of them are being classified as affordable. Someone else, uh, Nick, saying, give Austin a few more years and it'll be bigger than Houston. The place is growing so fast, it's crazy. Yeah. So yeah, some yeah. really nice comments on this. Uh, it seems to be, it's, it, Austin's a place to be, isn't it? It's, yeah. uh, mm. There's lots happening right now. It's got a crazy good food scene, apparently. That's why I want to go there. Mm. I want to try that mad barbecue there and stuff, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe all of this development, all these people moving in, though, you know, is that going to take away from what makes Austin Austin and what makes this city so attractive to to live in and visit? That's what what happens, isn't it? That's what we do. We find an area that's up and coming, that's edgy and exciting, yeah. And then we fill it with high-end shops, high-end restaurants. We gentrify it, put million-pound apartments in, and suddenly it's not the place we all loved anymore. Yeah, yeah. Hello, Shoreditch. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's got a it's got a big tech industry as well, Austin, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Google have a massive presence in Austin, don't they? They have a huge office building there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd still love to visit, but um, I, I it, this tower though. I think this this is a nice nice tower, and and the design is so much better than the other one. I wonder if the other one will go ahead with the the, the height that it intended. I wonder if they'll go. Ah, oh, do you know what? Since it's not the tallest anymore, we'll we'll, we'll alter a few things. I wouldn't be surprised if that happens. Yeah, get, up, get up there and stick some on top, quick. Stick a mast yeah. on it. Hmm. Yeah, a chimney. <laughs> yeah. yeah, do a, do a Chrysler building and poke something through the roof at the last minute. <laughs> That's it. Oh, yeah. interesting. Yeah, <laughs> interestingly, the that other one, the waterline development, got a better, stronger reaction. I mean, this isn't a measure, but it got a stronger reaction across the B one M. More interest, more intrigue than the one, the new tallest one. I don't know. Mm-hmm. It was quite a shocking looking different tower. I guess someone said it had uh, it had cowboy cowboy stance vibes to it which was pretty interesting for you <laughs> yeah there is a bit of that yeah i suppose it's one of those where it like divides you know the water front tower thing yeah that divides people whereas the i think in reality once um these are are, are built i think people will much prefer uh this one the thing is what i've noticed with some of these skyscrapers in america that isn't like or well, I say in America, in Austin, they don't really go with like the names, do they? Or the nicknames? Like they try it, but it doesn't really stick. And you're like, like Waterline. Why is it called Waterline? Like, what's that got to do with the building? It just seems. It's probably my ignorance, the fact that I've not visited there. Don't know much about the geography, maybe. But I don't know. Like this one, you know, why don't they just call it, you know, something? Like the Bronze Tower, or br- I mean, Bronzy or something. Waterline's a great name for a skyscraper in Miami right now, isn't it? Why, where did that Where did yeah. that come up in the, in the brainstorm? <laughs> <laughs> what, what floor do you want to flat on? Go high because uh, <laughs> you'll, be above, you'll be above the waterline. Why have we got portholes on the bottom floor? Well, you know, oh uh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> future proofing. No, it's, it's good free, stuff. free yacht parking on the fiftieth floor. <laughs> <laughs> Very good, Ian. Very good, mate. Have you found your first uh, podcast, Ian? It's been great. I've loved it. Wish I could. Uh, wish I could spend all my mornings like this. <laughs> See, I'm detecting sarcasm again, mate. Is, is... No, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I think <laughs> that was supposed to sound genuine. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've loved it. It's been it's been a, a pleasure pleasure being here. Long time listener, first time caller, all that. <laughs> oh. 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 <laughs> 
<laughs> so, shout out to any LBC fans. <laughs> I, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was nuts, I don't know, call it. I just want to say, I think the Prime Minister should do this. Oh, goodness me. <laughs> okay. Yeah. We should get more of that on this this podcast, maybe. We should. We should have random people call in and give us their biggest yeah. opinions, yeah. Bring back national service or something. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> when I was a kid, we was always, used to, always used to do this on a Sunday. So they're going to tell you what these buildings, you know, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Liam's yawning. That's why you can't hear Liam right now. You had done <laughs> enough, mate. Or is it too early for you? I'm done, mate. I'm done. No. Nice. Great. Well, on that on that bombshell, Liam's done, guys. We're checking out. <laughs> really good to uh, chat to you. Be good to be in your car, on your phone, in your ears this week, wherever you've been listening to us. Big thanks for tuning in. We've had such lovely feedback from right across the world. I've been travelling traveling around the world quite a bit the last few months and I've had fantastic feedback on the podcast so to my face at least so thanks everyone for for tuning in and watching listening watching I don't know I'm so into video I don't know what I'm saying we would love it if you left us a five star review five star reviews will endear you more will endear you better to the podcast team you're more likely to get your review read out if you write a really nice passage with five stars and tell all your mates like multiple times over on Spotify Apple Amazon every other platform just yeah just leaving it out there in case anyone wants to do that that would be I'd much appreciated anything else you need to add Luke anything else um, you should do uh, no just leave a review and we might read it out you know? yeah put a, pun nice. in, put a pun in a review and we you know that that would be great so yeah do that please awesome well let us know what you thought about this episode guys let us know what you think about that epic new tunnel under the female belt between Denmark and Germany let us know what you think about the tree-covered stadium, the entire new airport being built from scratch over in Poland, and Texas's tallest new skyscraper, which has been announced this week. Send us your emails, send us your comments, podcast at theb1m.com, and we'll see you next week. I did hear some um, token sirens going through at the start. And pick him. Great, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was a bit worried about that. Oh, <laughs> I put a sign. I put a sign outside my window, but no one's paying any attention to it. <laughs> <laughs>